0: The weather this year was probably colder than ever before as far as uh, temperatures are concerned. These sedge flats are very popular areas for lots of different bears and so you'll never know when that different bear comes popping out of the woods.
1: One of the cubs just kept walking kind of away from the mom and the other one always stayed right by her and one started walking away well there was a male that was eyeing the cub
2: they do have emotions, but they don't have dentists. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Welcome to Wild and Exposed, the wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. We have a special podcast for you today with your hosts, Ron Hayes, Michael Morrow missy mckenzie and myself mark raycroft and what's special about today is two of our team two of our spoiled team this week are in alaska and just had an epic adventure along the coast filming coastal grizzly bears (laughs) for five days grizzly bears
0: bears. well they're grizzly bears yeah they're they're definitely grizzly bears everybody up here saying oh you guys call them brown bears
2: so there are subspecies of grizzly bear. There's the mountain grizzlies. There's the coastal grizzlies, which are brown bears. They're called Kodiak bears in some areas, different names in different different, different regions that way. But um, I'm sure in different, even out in different islands, people might have different slang terms for them. But anyway, we are envious and excited to share with our listeners and for Ron and myself to hear about your time. At Lake Clark and how that went this year and if I remember correctly I mean you guys have this dialed in Mike and Missy because this is your fourth adventure there and I assume Missy you were shooting stills and having a great time with your new setup with your two to five hundred zoom perfect equipment for big bears and Michael with your red I can And slow-mo and, and, of course, the pre-record stuff you were teasing us with on our recent trip in the Canadian Rockies. I want to hear how it went. So let's just jump in and, and tell me a bit about or tell our listeners a bit about this weekend. And I have a lot of little specific questions to help fill in some gaps for information.
0: Well, I think one of the biggest questions with going to Lake Clark is, are you going to have good weather, right? So we get there or we, we fly out of Anchorage and it's nice and not nice and sunny, but partly cloudy, decent weather, great flying weather, flew into there. So we went with the Barrett Hedges who puts on this this tour and he reserves all the space to go out to this particular lodge and you just have to reserve the space because they only can handle so many people. So it is a pretty exclusive little spot just because you got to kind of weasel your way into those few spots to stay on that particular coastline. And Barrett runs two different weeks. It's pretty spendy to go for two weeks so we go for one week and the week prior to us getting there they basically had rain all five days so they weren't very productive they were out shooting in the rain every day they did get some good shots but it wasn't like the non-stop action that Ron experienced last year at the same location and that we've had in years past in fact the weather this year was probably colder than ever before as far as uh, temperatures are concerned I mean I don't think I went without a, a down jacket every day out there while we were there but as far as the action and what was going on the first two days, we had rain off and on, but plenty of good shooting opportunities, but we had a lot of wind, and then the last two and a half, three days, we had just perfect weather. It was just perfect for bears, perfect for us, perfect for...
1: Perfect for bugs.
0: Perfect for mosquitoes. Lots of mosquitoes. <laughs> it was incredible, mosquito weather, but... Don't um,
1: forget the bugs.
0: Yeah. But it was, it was great. We, we got an opportunity to see... Everything we see just about every year, except for this year, there were no spring cubs, which was really interesting. And you got to kind of wonder how that whole dynamic works out there. Because there's several females every year, and there's different females in different stages of whether they're spring cubs, two-year-old cubs, or sometimes even three-year-old cubs. But every year there seems to be a sow that's running around that doesn't have any cubs. So you're like, oh, that's probably going to – she's probably going to come back next year with spring cubs. But – with this being a colder spring in Alaska in general, it could be that they are just staying up higher longer and not coming down to these sedge flats where you find them. And um, they just didn't show up. And I think last year when you were there, Ron, we we didn't see spring cubs till like the last day that we were on this trip. And well, I think- we
3: saw, we yeah, we saw one, I think on the third day, one set, but we didn't get to spend very much time with them. They ended up, uh, the boars were out in kind of the same meadows. So they pushed back into the trees. We never did get to see her again. And then, yeah, the last day uh, is when we, we did have a pretty good encounter. And I think because of the tides, we were really the only only people that had that encounter. So, it, yeah, it worked out great last year. Yep. And were those cubs back?
0: Uh, was that um, – they name all these Trimble. bears out yes. there, right, because they all – have different personalities and they all have a different look to them and it's easy for these guides to share information if they kind of name some of these bears and I know some people are fans of naming wildlife and some other people are like ah, you don't want to name everything but it's an easy way for these guys to share information so this particular bear that you're talking about was crimp and yeah she was back this year and actually she we probably photographed her more than any other bear that was out there just because they were so photographable they're so accustomed to people They don't change their behavior at all they're totally comfortable you know obviously we're not right up on them we're let them be bears and let them do whatever they're going to do which a lot of time is sleeping so while they're sleeping you're just hanging out you know 50 to 75 yards away but once they wake up and they go do their thing and be little bears and big bears then uh, we were able to get a bunch of good
1: yeah she was really comfortable with us being around because she actually nursed her cubs several times in front of us
3: oh really nice
0: Yeah, so you get a lot of that action, and the first couple of days, like I said, we had a lot of wind and rain, so I didn't even pull out the video camera, just because it was so, you know, with shooting a big lens in the wind, you just get a lot of vibration and it reflects on the footage, so it's hard to do. So I actually shot more stills this year than I have in the last three or four years, Um, but I was able to break the red out finally day three and and was able to get some pretty good stuff using the old pre-record, like you said. It's awesome, because you'll get those sleeping bears, but... What's interesting about mama bears with, with cubs is they never really get a deep sleep, right? Because she's constantly got to be aware of what's going on. And these sedge flats are very popular areas for lots of different bears. And so you'll never know when that different bear comes popping out of the woods to come out to the flats. If it's a big male, you know, that could be a really bad situation for these cubs. So like every 2 or 3 minutes she lifts her head and she scans the whole area and then she just kind of plops back down. So with the pre record on that, I was able to just, you know, sit there and wait for the right situation or wait for the right moment when she lifts her head up and you get the little eye shine and get some good footage going that way. So it was a it was an awesome opportunity to get out there and I don't know that we saw too much different stuff this year. Like I said, we saw no spring cubs. We did see a reunion of what we think is probably two siblings but had been kicked out last year and then they had went their separate ways but they don't go too far from each other but there was a situation one day where these two siblings or the what we think are siblings but two young teenage bears probably three-year-old four-year-old bears they kind of reunited and it was just like this little exciting time for these bears where they're like hey you're my buddy you know, and they cut up and they nose to nose and they play with each other and they would bite each other. And then they would both eat together and they probably hung out together for two two or three days. Yeah. Just as little buddies. So that was kind of cool to see some different behavior.
1: We did hmm. see some foxes this year too.
0: Oh yeah, different than any. We've never seen foxes there ever before. And this year there were some foxes running around. So that was kind of a cool situation. Nice. Just quickly, did you get to document that pair greeting one another?
2: Did you did you photograph that or, or
3: yeah a video of that?
0: That was one of the photograph days for me. But yeah, that I don't know if you saw on Instagram, Missy put up a picture of a mm-hmm. of a bear that's kind of like in a in a football position, you know, down really low with its head and its butt up in the air and and looking right. at that other bear face to face. And yeah, so that that greeting was kind of cool.
2: So for our listeners, you know, if they go to wildandexposed dot com to our website, if you haven't been there already. You'll be able to see these images in our show notes and be able to see what was experienced by Mike and Missy. And um, Missy, your Instagram, we've never covered that on the podcast. So please tell our listeners where they can find you on Instagram. Um,
1: I'm on Instagram at CastawayGal, C A S T A, W A Y G A L. had I think. Awesome. Cast <laughs> Go and check gal. out
2: CastawayGal. <laughs> and uh, check out Missy's images. She does great work. So the foxes, then, are they all red foxes?
0: Yep, all red foxes. And they I'm almost sure they had to have a den around there somewhere. But since the conditions were so different up there this year, there's, there's, I guess we should kind of set the scene. When you get to these lodges, there's two lodges at Lake Clark. There's the Homestead Lodge, and then there's the Silver Salmon Lodge. And if, you, if anybody knows anything about filming brown bears in Alaska, you know that the Silver Salmon Lodge is one of the places to go. So it's a very famous, and a lot of people have heard of it. But when you show up there as a guest to, to film the bears or a photographer or whatever you're doing, um, you fly in, you land on a beach. Uh, so you really got to time the, the arrival with the tides because if it's high tide, there's sometimes the, the tides are so high that those airplanes can't land on the beach. So they time it with that. Once you land on the beach, they're sitting there with uh, ATV and the ATV pulls these little carts, like little, um, almost like little wagons. And they're set up with little bench seats in them, so you can sit on those bench seats so that you arrive in a plane, they unload all your luggage into two of these carts, and then they have another ATV with two more carts, and then everybody piles into there, and you take this little trail from the beach to where the lodges are at and get set up in your in your uh, lodging. And then you're out that, that same afternoon, you're out filming and photographing so you get all your gear together, and then they basically take you around. So, and I don't know how this all transpired or how this all was developed over time, but it's definitely the safest way for the bears and for the people to experience the bears, right? So, if you're out hiking around, there's could be a lot of disturbance with bears, and um, you never know when you're going to go through these edge flats and there'll be little slews and you know bears getting those slews. So you don't want to, you know approach a bear without them knowing so what they do is they put you in these little carts and they can drive around these big huge sedge flats and I don't know Ron you were there last year so I don't know it's probably two or three or four miles worth of trails that you can they cart you around on and then uh, you just go on those cart paths until you find a bear and then if it's in a good situation where you got nice light and the animals working towards you or whatever the situation is, you hop out of the cart and then you hike out into those such flats to an area where you think you might be able to get some decent photographs and then um, do your thing there. And then you'll hop back in the cart and you just pretty much go find another bear Is the situation. So what my point on that was, is there's what they have a North beach and they have South beach and it's divided by the silver salmon river. But this year, that river was running so high for so long that we didn't get a chance to cross it till like the last day we were there. So they can cross through this river on these little carts. So well, you asked...
3: I suppose with, with a whole week of rain, I suppose that, that'd put a lot of water coming down that, that drainage.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. There's snowmelt and then there's all the rain coming and, and they just pull these carts through the river. So if it's a, if, if it's a pretty high flow you know you it could just slide everything down the river so they don't really try that unless the river is low enough so what started that whole conversation was the foxes and i would bet that these two foxes we we saw were mates and they had to be a den somewhere and and last year they said there was a den out on the on the beach along the edge of the beach in the and where the sedge flats end which would be the perfect denning location so I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get a chance to explore the south beach a little bit more because that's where the den was last year so it had been really cool to be able to see little little um tit foxes down there but that that wasn't possible with uh, the conditions we had
2: i think that's a, a good thing you pointed out that these lodges have, have um, conditioned the bears that they hear the sound of the atv and then they know where the people are so they're not being startled by people who are just wandering it's very controlled and over all these years. And these bears obviously have been, you know, it's been going on for so long. They were born there as cubs and, and know the routine, right? So it's a very um, established and safe routine that way versus people walking. So that can make people comfortable and, and, uh, and with the guide as well, who, who knows how to operate under
3: these conditions. Uh, one of the things that you talked about, Mike, was that, um, you know, we're, you use ATVs at that location to, to get around and, one thing that I would like to make sure that everybody understands is that you're not pursuing bears on ATVs that, you know, there are bears that actually approach the ATV and it's a lot like, uh, Yellowstone in the wintertime. If you're on snowmobiles, they only have one path to, to move in the park and the bears are the same way. So, and you even have a a video clip that we took last year when, when we were there, um, where when the bear is approaching down the ATV trail, everything stops. You don't just keep going. You're still allowing those bears uh, free range of movement. Uh, we stopped. We got they off. The right,
2: they have the right of way.
3: They do. Right? The, yeah. the bears yeah. have the right of way, and you're you're allowing them to do what they need to do. And, and Mike videoed that last year, and I know some people have asked, you know, that's crazy that you guys stood there. But actually, the, the fact of the matter was that, we got off. We got off on the opposite side of the ATVs. We let those bears have their space, let them move. And we didn't, there was nobody even taking images um, while we were doing that. We were just letting them pass because they were, you know, they were fairly close. Uh, we were we were comfortable. We were fine. But at the same time, we were respectful of those animals and uh, letting them have their space and, and having it in silence to, to be able to move to the location they were trying to get to.
0: Yeah, most of the time, the bears don't even look twice at an ATV. You might get a young bear every now and then. It'll come up and just like sniff around it and get excited about it. And one of the rules yeah. that you follow is whatever you take in the cart with you goes with you everywhere you go. You don't leave a backpack in the cart. You don't leave a tripod in the cart. You don't leave an empty water bottle in the cart you whatever you take out there into the field with you goes with you so if you're going to take six lenses and two backpacks and it's all marching out there with you to wherever you're going so they have very strict rules and you're right it is it's merely just a mode of transportation to get to cover the six mile stretch of, of beach and um most of, you're never shooting from the atv it's just to get to a spot and then you hike out to wherever the the bears are at or whatever is going on. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a just a form of transportation, and the bears are completely used to it. And it's not like you're going very fast either. I mean, you might hit a top speed of five miles an hour on those things <laughs> to get from one point to another. Yeah. So it's a yep. it's a slow go.
2: And everybody there is putting the bears first, right? And and I, I'm assuming as well that there's a talk for especially for people who've never been there before on the day they arrive. As far as what's safe, what the rules are, what the protocol is. So everybody's dialed right in before they put boots on the ground and are out there with the bears too, right?
0: Exactly. And new this year is the Park Service has a video that everybody has to watch before you go out there too. So um, every other year it's just been that whole safety talk about the lodge, about the bears, about the ATVs, um, what they expect, what they don't, don't ever want to see happen. And then this year on top of that was a video that, helps you appreciate the area and helps you appreciate the resource and helps you appreciate what these bears, the ecosystem that they live within, and how we need to respect it when we're out there as well. So it's, it's really cool. And you're right, they do have all that preface before you go out.
2: How many people are in your group? Can you share that with the listeners, just to know size?
0: So with our group, we had nine different people. Um, and then the guide, And then they have a regulation out there that I don't think it's any more than 16 people can be on one bear.
1: Right.
0: So with our group, we were fairly small. Um, And it's great because we're pretty active and we can hike along. And, you know, a lot of times they'll stop the cart and then you're hiking out, I don't know, 800 yards to where a bear might be. And then you'll look up in the Sedge Flats another 800 yards above and you'll see another bear. You'll see a bear with spring cubs. And so we won't go back to the cart. We will just go hike up to that area. So um, you get, there is a lot of flexibility, and but with a smaller group, it's a lot easier to move in those little, little ways to go see the bears. And you're right. So there's just, a
2: fair amount of, sorry, there's a fair amount of walking at times then.
0: Can be, I think our group tends to walk more than most groups, but our group goes in as photographers. I mean, there's a lot of people that'll show up mm-hmm. there just as a tourist and just as someone that appreciates bears and they just want to experience that closeness and that proximity. But there's also a lot of serious photographers that go. But our group is all photographers, so we all want to get those cool images of, of bears being bears and you know cubs and different things. So, um, being in a small group, we were allowed to walk a lot, lot further. I think a lot of the groups that are in some of the bigger. Bigger, uh, bigger groups get envious of us because we get to see so many more bears and get to photograph so many more bears than some of the bigger groups.
1: Yeah, our group is actually known as the walking group. But and what you were timing. saying
0: earlier, I was going to, you know, the, the Park Service, is, it's, it's a national park. And most people know mm-hmm. Lake Clark from Lake Clark, which is an inland lake. This is the Lake Clark coastal part of, of that park. And it's very, very regulated as to what you can and can't do with these bears. Like, you can't um, approach them within, you know, if they approach you, it's fine. But you're not supposed to, like, march right up to the bear, you know. It's it's very respectful. Like I said, you have to, there's no more than 16 people per group. You have to have a guide. You can't just march off and want to go shoot off some, something of your own. You know, basically, the group moves together, so it's never one single person out there. So... Mm-hmm. It's a very regulated situation, which is really cool. I mean, you want the bears to be bears, and you don't ever want them to be intimidated by all these people or in all these cameras. But as a photographer, you want to try to get that really cool shot too, right? So you want there's that happy medium that I think you can achieve in an area like that.
1: We did limit our time on some of the when we would photograph the sow with cubs, because it is when the males come out, and they're constantly... Like Michael talked earlier, they don't get much sleep. They're constantly looking around and put their head back down for a little while. But we noticed the one sowing cubs, they were exhausted and they were sleeping a lot the one day that we found them. So we decided just to let them be for the day because we felt like they just had too much activity as far as the male bears go and her having to watch out for them and watch us and watch her cubs. So we decided to go find other bears that day and let her have
2: some space. So, so just to elaborate on that a little bit, it's because it's mating season, right? And so these boars are searching for receptive females, and it causes mother bears, sows with cubs, to have to be extra careful of their cubs because the boars will prey on the cubs and kill them to bring her into heat if they get that opportunity. So they have to be very watchful, which is why they'd be so exhausted. It at this time of year for these few weeks of, of mating season, right?
0: Right. Yeah, and I was asking one of the guides how long the mating season lasts out there and she said she's seen mating activity all up, all the way up into like the first week of July. So it can go pretty mm-hmm. much the whole month of June into into a little bit into July. So yeah, those those mama cub or mama bears are on their lookout, you know, pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And there's been, you know, we've been fortunate enough to go for three or four years. So there's some years where you'll just see tons of males. And then there's other years where you won't see, you know, like this year we only saw a couple of males at all. And they weren't, those big male bears, I mean, you're talking about an 800 to 1,000 pound brown bear. They're, I mean, they're huge. They're, they're huge. Just, compared to like an inland grizzly that you would find in Denali National Park or you would find in parts of the Canadian Rockies, these male bears are probably twice the size of any bear you see on the inland area. So they're just these monster bears. And they're same as the cu- same as the sows and the cubs, they're very used to people, but they are. They keep their distance. It's not like something where you can walk, you know, go in and try to photograph a male bear. They're pretty much. They got one thing on their mind because they generally don't come to the sedge flats. The only reason they're showing up there is just to find a female to mate with.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, I have something. I know some of our listeners are thinking about this, so I'm gonna throw it out there because it came to me. I'm surprised that you can have 16 people in a group. I'm like, holy cow, that's a lot of people. I'm thinking, like, when when we hike in grizzly country, no matter what we're pursuing to photograph, and and some of the places we go, we just go with an open mind and hope to find moose or caribou or something that day. But it's grizzly country, so we like to travel in a group of four people or more. It's kind of this psychological shift forbearers that if they see four people they're not likely to be as curious as it would be for somebody on their own and i'm not saying i mean that it's not safe for someone on their own it's just for some of our hikes we like that idea with four or five people but 16 obviously you move as a unit because that keeps it minimal as far as the disturbance but i had no idea that that many were in these groups i thought it was five or six or seven people that did these per group
3: and i was 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 kind of surprised at that last year too sorry missy
1: that's okay
3: um I was surprised at that last year too, but it's never a group of 16 approaching the bear. Typically, you know, our, our group was a little bit smaller than what they had this year, but typically there would be a group on a bear and you try to limit so that you, you kind of share opportunities. Okay. Um, so you might have another group that comes up photographed together for a few minutes and then one group leaves. Um, but that's how I remember it. And Mike and Missy have obviously been there quite a lot more, so they probably will have more to say about that, but it, it was never 16 people approaching a bear at one time. Okay. You know, yeah. while I was there.
1: Right. Well, that's it, what it, I was going to say. I was, um, exactly what he said. There would be one group on it and then the next group would come out because they really do limit you to how much time you spend on the bear also. So um, we would be out there. The next group would come out. We would finish up or hang out for a little bit, and then our group would leave, and the next group would stay there. So we were never there, like, the whole time, a huge group. And I think sure.
0: I think we should put it out there. This is not – I mean, it almost sounds like this is all very scheduled. Like one group goes in, and the right. next group goes in. It's not that at uh. all. It's – the, all these guides have radios and if they if our group is out photographing a, a sow with cubs that's what everybody wants right so they want everybody to have that opportunity so you try to just you know you might say okay we've been here for 30 or 40 minutes there's another group that's coming right? you can hear the ATV coming you basically say okay let's let's wind it up and, and get out of here so that the next group can do their thing and then hopefully after that, these bears can just be bears and go do whatever they're going to do without people, oh, yeah. you know, photographing. Well, they're used them, so. to people.
2: Yeah, I don't, you know, a lot of the bears wouldn't be stressed by the people. I'm just trying to get a visual for how it functions so that if there are listeners who are thinking about doing it, then they, you know, based on your amazing experience of having this privilege, you know, gives them some insight on in what to anticipate.
1: Well, and, and on, not, honestly, there was enough bears for the groups mm-hmm. Not to be on the same bear, we saw enough bears out there that nobody had to be on one bear. Um, sure, so it really only happened, I think, once maybe twice that another group came out, but we were getting ready to leave anyway. Um, but most of the time, there's plenty to see out there.
0: So, out of five it's a days,
2: huge landscape, right? Yeah. It's a huge landscape there, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, you're probably talking up to six miles of beach that you can access through through going to the lodge. The other thing to throw in there, too, is we're referring to these trips that we did, which is a five-day trip. And, you know, the Silver Salmon has the same amount of people that come in. But there's also fly-in tours. So you could leave Homer in a plane. They'll come out land, and it's just two or three people. And then these guys are just trying to provide that experience for a day-use person who is paid for a flight to go land on the beach, walk out with the guide, which is generally the pilot. They walk out, do the thing, and they're there for like all of 30 minutes. And then they are walking back to their plane and taking off and going to look at glaciers or something else. So there's other groups like that that come in. So the Park Service has... It's not overpopulated at all, and there's not too many people at all. It's very limited as far as people, but they do have a resource that they're really trying to manage, and it's a really special place, and I think they're doing a great job with the management out there.
2: Cool. So uh, I want to ask about timing, too, because I know that's very important. I mean, with spring being later in Alaska, but why is it that it's the last couple weeks of June that is the best time to go?
0: Well... I think weather is one of the big things. Um, The later you go, the better chance you have at decent weather. Um, The other thing is, is you get more activity, right? So you'll have some of those male bears showing up. And then you have a lot of the sows with cubs that have showed up into the the sedge flats. But I did a lot of talking with our guide this year, too, because I was curious about that. We've always went the last week in June. And that's just been the time. And I don't know if that's just because that's the time Barrett has set up with the lodge. Which I think that's a lot of it. Because there's groups out there now doing the same thing. And I think the later you go, the more chance you have of seeing spring cubs. But then that's all weather dependent too. So if you have an early spring and it gets warmer faster, then I think those spring bears show up a lot sooner. So it's it's a crapshoot. You just never know. You know. We've always had good luck going this week, so we continue to go it that week. But there's opportunities to go... You know, right now they're feeding in the sedge flats. But as the salmon runs start, that Silver Salmon Creek has a couple of good runs of of silvers coming up. So you can catch these bears out there swimming or fishing for salmon too. And it's one of the only places that people, where you can actually see the sows with cubs actually fishing. Because a lot of places I've been to in Alaska where you actually film bears fishing, very seldom do you see cubs because there's so many bears that congregate there. The, the mamas won't bring their babies there just because it's, the danger zone is too great.
1: And that's later. So we haven't seen that because we do go the end of June. And I think this happens um, August. August.
2: So Salmon Run is in August? Yep. And so these lodges keep these guided tours going throughout the summer then?
0: Yep. yep. But I've also talked to the guide too where they've had weeks where there's no bears. You know so if you show up okay. at the end of July there you could show up there and there's no bears around. Not to say that they're not there. They're there but they're not feeding in the sedge flats. They're they're not visible.
2: Right. So it might be between the sedge flat feeding time and the salmon run. This might be a lull or something.
0: Yeah. That exactly. might occur.
1: You know and not we, see as many. We haven't talked about it but What I like about going to this particular area is being able to see the bears clamming. Not all bears know how to clam. It's a learned behavior that they have from their moms or whatever. So it's pretty cool to go to this area because a lot of the bears will go out when the um, tide goes out and they'll come and dig for clams. And it's pretty cool to see.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that earlier, but I didn't. And Ron saw
2: you're that last like a, year. Like a finesse, right? Why don't yeah, they just take their claw and just tease it out and then split it? I mean, is this, is it it's, that
3: It's delicate? amazing, amazing how delicate. The, and I didn't even realize it watching it, just how delicate they were being, because once in a while you'd see a smashed clamshell on the beach. But when you actually look at image by image and you're, you know, taking 12 frames a second, you know, at 2,000th of a second, they are so delicate. It's just the tip of the claw that's barely pulling those clams open and it if you look at the images when they leave when they're done eating the clam there's nothing broken. They break them by walking over the top of them, you know, once in a while, but when they eat the clams there's they don't break the shell. It's incredible how delicate and and how much dexterity they use when they're when they're opening those clams up.
0: Well, and like Missy was referring to, it's a learned behavior. So you can go to an area in Alaska where there's clams, tons of clams, but there will never be any bears out there eating them. And I don't think those bears have ever learned in that area that, hey, I can go get clams out there. So you, you wonder how they learned to do this in the first place, right? But it's interesting to watch them when they're out on those salt flats or all the tidal flats. And... Like when we walk through there, you can see where a clam's at because there's like a little air hole, right? So you can be walking along and you see that hole. And if you wanted to dig for clams yourself, which a lot of people do, that's the area you dig. And sometimes you're digging six inches and sometimes you're digging 18 inches to get to that clam. These bears. That far, really? Yeah. But I don't think these bears really, I don't think they're looking for the, the little air holes. I think these bears can smell them. Yeah, I, think I think it's sure. their sense of smell, and they just walk and walk and walk, and then that nose just takes them right to the spot, and you'll see them dig. And with their with their claws and their paws, I mean, they can just dig right in there and get... I've seen them go all the way to their elbow, you know, just digging. <clears throat> and then they'll bring it out, and like Ron said, some of the bears are very delicate. Some of the bears will will grab the clam and bring it up on the side of their their other leg that's steady on the ground and they'll bring it up to the forearm and then somehow they'll flick it open. And I've seen other bears that'll bring it out and they'll take their paw and they'll smash it against the clay or the sand of the of the tidal flat.
1: Kind of it, roll it.
0: And kind of roll it and it pops open. So every bear has a different way that they get to these clams. And I, I would, it'd be super interesting to follow the same set of bears. If like there was a mama and cubs and these cubs are funny because they don't get it at all. All they know is they can go steal a clam from their mom, but they're constantly watching, so they're learning, and they develop it over time i'm sure, but I would love to know if those those cubs open the clams the same way as their mom did you know is it Is it a behavior where they take it all the way down to actually how they open the clam, or does different bears just figure out different ways to get in there, and that's how they do it from that point forward i don't know
1: yeah, and like well, you've he been said there
0: that... four
3: times
1: the cubs won't clam but it's so funny cuz they'll dig every now and then but they're usually out there messing around grabbing a stick or finding whatever they can find and um a lot of times they're still pretty i don't know scared not i don't know what the word is but anything that so approaches watchful. yeah in the the um, ravens or Seagulls and stuff will come around so they'll like try to chase them and they just have fun playing with the birds because the birds will come over and eat what's left that the bear left behind of the clam. So they're always following the bears.
2: Well, you guys are teaching me stuff. I, Mr. Biologist here, didn't know that clams would be down that far. I need to spend more time on the coast of Alaska, but seriously, I thought they'd be down two or three inches, but for them to have to dig down that far is interesting.
0: Yeah, and that's totally a guess as far as the 18 inches. But you figure if they go all the way down to their elbow. Sure. You know, that's that's quite a depth that you'll see them dig down in there. And We can throw some footage on the show notes so you can actually watch these bears do it. It's it's incredible.
1: It's so cool. Yeah.
2: Do that. I'm going to go check out the show notes.
0: (laughs) But (laughs) this year, and Ron, you'll be interested to hear this, we did not shoot a climbing bear this whole year. So it was a pretty rough winter, and there was parts of the beach that had just clam shells, just by the thousands and we were wondering and we never talked to anybody that knew but was it such a bad winter with so many storms that it just killed that you know or reduced that clam population to almost nothing we did see bears out there and we did see bears clamming we didn't film them but we only saw one or two the whole five days and generally you can go out there and probably film it three or four times Yeah. but and it's all dependent on the, the tide you know there's these extreme tides in Alaska so it can be and I don't understand it all as far as what they say when it's a 14 tide. I don't know if that means 14 feet. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, and I should probably uh, learn more about that. But they would be, oh, tomorrow's going to be a really good tide. And it, when, it, when it's a super low tide, that water might retreat out up to a mile. And so there'll be a mile of, of flats, open tidal flats, where these bears can go clam. And then... Other days you wake up and you go out there and and the water is only, you know, a few feet of tidal flat that they can get to. And the bears don't even get there. The other interesting thing about the tidal, about the clamming behavior is when do the bears know that there's going to be a a low tide? You know, because they'll be in there on the sedge flats. And you're like, how do they know? I mean, they aren't walking over every five minutes to look at the ocean. Is it the sound of the waves? And as the sound of the waves gets further and further, they're like, oh. You know, are they keying in on just the audible things? Is it, you know, do they just have some, yeah, is the smell different? Is it, what what makes it so that these bears know that, hey, today's the day we can go get some clams? Because you can't do it every day.
2: See, that's that's what got you into biology and wildlife photography, those kind of questions.
0: Exactly. Right? Exactly. We
2: want to know those answers. Amazing, these things that, you know, and. One could say the bear lies on its back and looks up at Ursa Major in the sky and Polaris and lines it up and says, oh, it's low tide time. Yo. <laughs> I am mean, I'm, str- I'm Yo. stretching it a bit there. But you it could know. be audible and it could, it could be sent, well, right? Yeah. But uh, I mean, those are good questions.
0: There's so much. And that is, you're exactly right. That is 100% the reason I got into this. And every time I go somewhere different, it's, and one, when you get a chance to go to this place a few times like we have, you just end up Lucky. with more questions, and you end up with just—it's like, wow, how does that happen, or how do they figure that out? Sure. How, you know, it was just cool. And you come away with different material each trip, right?
2: Between whether it's more boars, more cubs—the opportunity cubs a year, different weather. So it's really, you know, a privilege and awesome that you've been able to be there four times because it's not—it's not the same experience, right?
0: Every year, is I different. know you've.
2: Yeah, you've alluded to that earlier, too, and, and that's something that uh, with with a lot of the destinations that I go to routinely, it's like that. You go there with that expectation just naturally thinking, well, oh, I'm going to see this again, and it's you walk away from the trip with material that you never would have anticipated uh, from wilderness trips to these locations like this. So I want to also ask um, what the highlight experience or photo shoot the 5 days was for each of you separately. So I don't know who wants to go first. But what was the what was the favorite experience you had this year with these brown bears?
1: Well, I don't know if it was my favorite, but it was definitely one that kept us all on our toes and hoping that the cubs were going to be okay because we actually experienced when we were photographing a sow and two cubs we noticed a male was watching. So one of the cubs just kept walking kind of away from the mom. And the other one always stayed right by her. And one started walking away while well, there was a male that was eyeing the cub. And he was standing up looking over the grass. The mom was didn't even know he was there at this point. Because I actually have a picture where the male was Staring them down and the mom and cubs were just sitting there eating didn't even notice them Finally the mom noticed stood up. They kind of Both bears stood up and was staring at each other and then the race was on and he actually came After them and they all started running the cubs took off of course ran for a tree Which these grizzlies can climb trees where people think that they can't but they do then the mom actually chased the the boar off so it was intense i i couldn't even take that incredible. many pictures because i was so worried so <laughs> and, you know, and,
2: but that, that's incredible i mean that's wild right that's wildlife that's this real world you know we we have empathy for these animals but that's thrilling
1: yeah it was that's really real. th- it was really thrilling it was cool to watch it was
0: and i would have to say that's my the number one thing that stands out for me, too. And it was super hard to shoot with video. So I was actually shooting stills at that point. And um, just to set the scene a little bit beyond what Missy did is you got these huge sedge flats. But throughout the sedge flats, you have what they call sloughs. So it's almost like little river corridors that are cut through. And when a high tide comes in, those little rivers will fill up with water. And it's a different kind of grass that grows in there as opposed to up on top or not even grass, it's uh, called a, it's, a goose tongue. Yeah. And the bears really like that goose tongue. So at low tide, when that water's low, these bears get in these little depressions. And so a lot of times one bear can't see another bear. And But where we were, our, from our vantage point, which was up on top of this edge of the slough, we could see the mama and cubs off to one side, and then we could see that this young... Now, the reason this ended happily is it was, was a very young male, and he's just getting his wits about him, and he's like kind of excited, you know, because he he knows what he's supposed to be doing, but he's just, you could tell he's way smaller. That mama brown bear would have totally ate his lunch. But he didn't know, you know, he's just being a bear. So he's like, and what happened, like Missy said, is that little cub was kind of adventurous. And that little cub goes bebopping down there, like, just checking stuff out. And then all of a sudden that little cub sees the big cub. And you know how bears do, they huff. So that little cub set out a huff. And then that big mama bear, obviously, he's got her attention, so she stands up, and she starts looking around, and she pinpoints it, and so she starts huffing, and at that point, both of the cubs are running like racehorses, and you think you could outrun a bear? guarantee you, it'll never happen. These little cubs were <laughs> running so <laughs> fast, and then mama, she's like looking at the that other bear at the boar, she's looking at her cubs, and she's huffing. Every time she'd look over at her cubs, she'd huff even louder just to send it, she's like, you know, and it's obviously they know when they hear that huff that they got to find a tree. And they were probably, quite a four or five hundred yards from big trees where they knew they could get away. And so they're just booking it for that, for that bigger tree. And then you got that, you know, and I kind of thought at that point, this boar was small enough. I thought, there's no way that boar is going to come approach this mama bear. But it's that instinct, right? It's just that instinct. And he's just being a bear. So he just comes marching over there. And she, at that point, she starts running away because she's, all she's concerned about is that, those little her little cubs. And I think she can size, you know, I'm sure these bears can size up other bears really quick and say, oh, I don't have anything to worry about. But as that, as she starts running, then he gets excited. So he starts running and before we know it, they're all running in one direction, but the cubs are kind of really close to the tree. So they're headed up the tree and then Mama, she really kind of lost track of them because she started paying attention to the boar, and then finally she knew that her cubs were safe, and she went after that boar. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're gonna see a, a a male, a young male bear eat, get his lunch handed to him for sure. But he was smart enough and got out of the way. But just an incredible situation and we just happened to be in the right spot at the right time it wasn't like we could predict this wasn't like we even knew that other bear was up there we were just photographing the sow and cubs and I looked up the river and I actually was photographing this other bear because it was a really pretty scene with really pretty light on the grass and you got this weaving little slew of water that's going up and I'm just actually I'd shot that sow and cubs so much that I thought I'm going to get this other scene and then, so I see all the action from his point of view where he's like huh there's a little cub Hmm, there's a mama bear and then it was just pretty incredible to see it all unfold that was probably the highlight but then the, the other highlight was what I mentioned earlier where we saw those two um, teenage bears yeah the sub-adults reunite that that was pretty cool yeah, that just was to see cool. that you know they were excited to have their little buddies around and you know these young bears these sub-adult bears they're constantly on the lookout.
1: Yeah, because the one, he was really frisky and playful when he saw him. He was so excited. He jumped in the uh, slu- or No, that was the river where we were. He jumped in the river um, a couple times. He kept getting in the water, so it was pretty cool to see. So they played in the water a little, and then he'd jump out and go running toward the bear, and they'd start playing on the side again. and um, So that was fun to watch too. <laughs> Pretty cool behavior all around.
3: I was just uh just looking at your pictures again Missy on your Instagram feed and I had a it was it was interesting because I had a guy and I was able to use your pictures this week had a guy tell me, you know, those animals don't feel any emotion. They don't do this and they don't do that, but if you take the time to sit back and observe and or fortunate enough to have the, that type of experience that you guys had up there you see that they really do I mean you know I was talking to this guy about the the swift fox images that I get and I was telling him how you know how emotional how, how much they communicate how what the emotional attachment is like and he started telling me you know they're they're animals they don't have any emotional attachment to one another but to have the type of experience that you guys had to have the type of experience that I've had on some some dens and just kind of see that behavior, it really reinforces um that most of us don't have any idea what goes on out there.
1: So I think they and, do have emotions because oh
3: yeah. Not just doubt.
1: this time did we witness a boar chasing a sow and cubs. So the ending of this one, when she chased him away, she came back to find the cubs and they were up in a tree. The one came down right away. The other wouldn't come down. He wasn't ready yet. He's like, oh no, I'm making sure the coast is clear. She finally encouraged him to come down and when each cub came down, she was like nuzzling them, you know, with her nose. And then right at the bottom of that tree, when the second one came down, she started to play with them a little bit, like almost to let them know it was okay. So she lay mm-hmm. down on her back and she was rolling around with them for a little bit. And so I think, I think they do. Because another time that we had the opportunity to watch something similar to this was when we were filming um, Polar Bears. And we watched a male chase a polar bear cub and we actually witnessed the male having a cub and the mom circled that area where the male had the cub for days and just laid there basically pouting for her several days. So I think they have a emotion for sure.
3: Yeah, I've seen it too many times in too many different ways to, to not agree with you.
2: I'm not even going to get in on this conversation. I'm just going to say the earth is round, okay, people? <laughs> <laughs> They've proven it. They've seen from space the earth is round. Animals of all sorts have emotions. If you've yeah. got a golden retriever, you know it. If you've got a Jack Russell, you know it. If you've got a bear, you've got an orca, you've got a deer. They all have emotions. Yeah. Period.
1: I agree. Yep.
0: There was one other yeah, thing dude. that we saw that was kind of cool. You know, I said there weren't that many boars this year. There was a couple of young ones, and then there was one great big boar that showed up and um, pretty far away. So we weren't, none of us were really photographing it, but obviously you're just interested. So you're looking through your lens and you start seeing this weird little thing coming out of his jaw. And, and Barrett is like, I think his jaw's broken. But then you watch him a little bit more, and he was eating grass, and both both of his jaws were moving, so you're like, what is going on? You know, what is up with this bear? Well, he finally got close enough where we could take a picture and then zoom in on the picture. One of his front canines was growing straight out of his, oh, yeah. out of his gum. So you wonder if it's an injury that forced it to do that, or if he was born like that. It's hard to say, you know, who knows. But this, it didn't look like he was affected at all as far as performance. But it was pretty incredible to see this big male bear that just, he almost looked like a saber tooth, you know, just like a, almost like a, uh, a hog. You know how hogs have the big tusks that come out. It almost looked like this bear had a tusk. Pretty incredible sight. And we can put, I got a good enough picture where you can see it. We'll put that up in the show notes so you can see it Yeah, and we
1: were wondering if one of the cubs was from that male because, um... I got to look at a couple of my images, and one of the cubs had a similar tooth thing going on. So I have to go back and look at some more of them, but I did notice them on one or two of the images that one of the cubs had something funky going on with his tooth.
2: It could be hereditary. Yeah, you never know. Hereditary could be due to injury. They do have emotions, but they don't have dentists. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll I'll give them that.
0: <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact.
2: Well, I'm glad I am I am relieved because I know with such tight trips as a 5-day trip to the coast in Alaska in early summer the weather is such a variable. So I'm relieved that you guys had a had great weather and saw so many bears and I you know from all the images that I've admired of both of yours over the trips that you've done there, uh, it, I mean the opportunity has to be phenomenal from the little cubs standing up other years, like the cubs of the year on, on the beach, and then the clamming behavior and the big boars. and uh, To be able to witness that, I'm sure you've learned so much about brown bears through those trips, and uh, I want to thank you for sharing that with our listeners. And if our listeners have questions, they can get back in touch through our website as well at wildandexposed.com or comments or any, anything else they'd like to give us feedback on do you guys want to mention anything else about the trip that I might've missed or haven't covered?
0: No, I think um, it is. It's a special place every year when we leave there, I'm like, okay, I can't do this again. It's really expensive. And um, we got four years worth of content, but you know, halfway through the, you know, by December, I'll be looking at these images and you just realize how special it is. And you you think to yourself, I got to do this again. I mean, I can never sell all the pictures or all the video that I've shot out there, but just that opportunity to hang out with bears like that and get to observe and just kind of be part of their ecosystem and not disturb them, not be in their way, just watch them being bears. It's, it's really
1: And awesome. you see and learn something new every time you go there. So every year I've learned something new. It's amazing place.
2: No kidding. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, it's so grounding for you too, right? From when you arrive and when you leave, I mean, your appreciation of these places just continues to grow, right? Not only the trip. And I can see that. I can understand weighing the expense each year and where we devote our funds to what we want to go and film and photograph for our business and what will give us the kind of sales that we need to continue going. And some of these trips, you know, might do that. and Maybe it's a phenomenal year and we get a lot of content and are able to generate a lot of revenue from it. In other years, it doesn't. And some of the trips, you know, might be on the edge of being more expensive than the financial reward, you know, can offer. But the experience is worth it, right? What it does for us. I mean, everything, so much of our lives is about money and making money and paying bills in our society and supporting our families and so on in our, our professions. But sometimes it's got to be a trip that you can weigh that. And if it means more to you uh, and is soul food and, and is grounding in wilderness,
0: uh, like we all thrive on, then
2: yeah, by December, how do you say no <laughs> again, right?
0: One yeah. last thing. So we got back from this trip. And in the Anchorage Daily News, there's an article about one of the native corporations who owns land within Lake Clark National Park. They just teamed up with the Canadian company, a metal metal, precious metal company, and they're talking about putting in a pit mine out there in Lake Clark, which would totally just destroy this whole area that we're talking about. So
2: so how can, how can that, so the natives have some kind of precedent where it steps back, back, predating the national park existence so they can have this kind of influence when they want to make this kind of development is that what's happening
0: well let's let's just put it out there now and then there's obviously a lot of digging that I got to do and some research that I've got to do and you know it's a lease that they've got from the native corporation the Canadian company and the Canadian company is just going to go in and explore obviously there's going to be tons of precious metals in there I'm sure so with the current administration and their current thought process I think Now's the time, if it's ever going to happen, it could probably happen under the current administration. So it's it's another pebble mine thing, right? It's just going to mm-hmm. destroy a, a, an awesome resource, that uh, an awesome, um, pristine resource. But we're still probably years and years away from this thing going down, and I'm sure it'll get caught up in court and stuff. But it's just something that needs to be put out there, and people just need to know, and then people just need to speak up one way or the other and just, you know, it's something that I think we could talk about if it progresses beyond now. I think just public awareness now is important just for people to know that an area like this can still be um, taken advantage of, but.
2: Well, that's been proven time and again, just because it's designated protected land doesn't mean it's going to be down the road. It doesn't matter what the interest group is, right? Our growing, human population needs resources and that's in our in our loose democracy we have these political powers that recognize that the resources are what keeps them in power politically for the votes and that's what you know puts this this slant on where the, these precious wilderness areas become threatened because there are more people who need you know jobs or need these resources to support this you know, growing world population. So it's going to be, you know, whether it's Lake Clark or uh, all kinds, there are so many other global and North America, even Alaska, you know, anywhere you look, there are these issues happening that people should be made aware of and, you know, make an educated decision on, and then, you know, write to their, um, state, provincial, federal, you know, uh, whoever it might be, um, politicians and let me you know on their opinions right. so that they can, they can act accordingly. Otherwise, it's all about votes and, and economy, period, right? Where does natural resources, I mean, okay, that's not the right terminology because natural resources cover these precious metals. Wild spaces, pristine nature, wild animals all get pushed aside for the sake of economy, economic gain. And there's more and more pressure. And we'll see that, I believe, in the years. Right now we're seeing it. But it'll continue to expand um, in the years and decades ahead in North America because our population is growing that quickly. And and it's a global economy as well. So any of these um, resources that can be extracted, there'll be an interest in. So it's a question of the legislation and how solid is it for these. And you'd think you would assume, I would assume, a national park you know, would have protective measures this way, but, um, obviously not, you know, so um, it's good. You bring this up. And I think it's good for our listeners. I mean, we are passionate about wild animals, wild places and wilderness. It's what we get the most out of as individuals in our life for our experiences on our trips into these pristine wilderness areas. Um, and we're grateful for it. We thrive on it. And we want to share with our listeners that, um, these concerns when they come up and at least yeah, provide a link to the article so that they can read and, and formulate their own opinion and decide how to act on it or to see what groups might be acting on it already out there as well.
0: Yep. I think it's just a good thing to bring up. And like I said, we can we can tackle it when it becomes a bigger issue and um, you just bring more awareness to it, but just even putting it out there now is a good thing.
2: Yeah. People, you know, our lives are busy and we have millions of people who vote or should be voting. And, you know, we've got to if they don't know, if they don't read that specific article, don't find it, then they'll never know. Right. They're busy running their daily lives and doing and, you know, with what their own responsibilities are. So um, for some of these things that we're passionate about, when it does surface, it's good to educate people. You know, there's been several that you've brought up, Michael, over the podcast that we've done that I've been grateful to learn about and still keep up on and, and follow. So, yeah, I think it's worth any time these, these concerning issues come up to encourage people to learn about it and, and to help facilitate that through links to to media, media that uh, presents it well in, yep. a, in a non-biased fashion.
0: And all sides, yeah, because you never know what's biased and what's not. And that's why I was, I was a little hesitant to bring it up because you just don't know. I mean, immediate reaction right. is you know, the sky's falling, but there's still a lot of stuff that has to happen before it really does happen. But the the wheels are in motion, and it's something to be aware of.
2: Well, and, and there are media outlets that, you know, do tend to have biases leaning left or right, too. So, you know, beyond that, if it is a significant issue that's being tabled, you know, source more than one uh, write-up on it. Read three or four or five articles presented by different outlets so that you can get a better perspective and and feel for for um, what's really happening to, to be the, as, as educated as you can be on it
0: yep we found three or four articles yesterday so I'll put links to all of those in there and then we'll just see where it goes and we'll keep people updated because it's something that I'm passionate about and I will definitely keep updated on it
2: well thanks for sharing that and thanks for taking us to Lake Clark and sharing your amazing five day adventure and, and I'm I am enjoying being a bit of a Spectator on the sidelines with this podcast and we'll look forward to seeing your work in the show notes myself and I want to say that your adventure didn't end there and we are going to spin another podcast tomorrow and it'll follow this one obviously on our on our schedule on our podcast it won't be necessarily 24 hours later but it will be up because you guys just spun into a whole other area of the Alaskan coast and had, from what I've seen, an epic time. So our listeners should tune in tomorrow to see what you two got up to and really awesome stories and images to accompany that podcast coming your way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you can you can find us at wildandexposed.com and no matter what platform you're listening to this podcast, please give us a positive review, a thumbs up, a five-star uh, review. would be much appreciated. It allows us to continue to do what we'd love to do here, Um, Check out our, if you haven't been, you can see some of our video uh, shorts and podcasts on YouTube at Wild and Exposed Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Cheers.